1: Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show, race between variant and vaccine. Tisha confirms further delay to indoor hospitality beyond the planned 5th of July reopening date.
2: The safest way to now proceed with a return to indoor hospitality is to limit access to those who have been fully vaccinated or have recovered from COVID infection.
1: 4 TD Barry Cowan and Chief Executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland Adrian Cummins will discuss today's devastating blow to the hospitality sector. Professor of Immunology at Maynooth University Paul Moyna and Social Democrat co-leader Roisin Shortall will join us to debate the risks and the modelling effort used on which they based today's decision and later the unvaccinated world, UNICEF's Peter Power will join us for the world view on COVID-19. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag tonightvmtv First, tonight, Virgin Media News correspondent Zara King joins me live from the Department of Health. And Zara, that announcement by the Taoiseach came at lunchtime today. There's been an awful lot of reaction to it since.
0: Yes, good evening, Claire. So those working in that hospitality sector describing this as absolutely heartbreaking, saying that it is a disaster. Uh, Understandably, people at home tonight counting the cost of this, Claire, and asking themselves uh, what will happen next, they have no clarity. They don't know what will happen next. Uh, Hearing from them today saying that they had people in training preparing to go back to work next week. They were excited about that prospect. And now they find themselves not having a date ahead and they find that very challenging. They say there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Adrian Cummins from the Restaurants Association saying that summer is lost. We've heard uh, many times over the last week, clear that comparison to a week in the summer being uh, the equivalent of the takings for a month in the winter. From a financial perspective, that is the cost of this. This crucial staycation period is so vitally important for these types of hospitality businesses, these indoor restaurants. Um, we're talking about 180,000 workers being affected by this, Clear. Uh, also, uh, the LVA, Donald O'Keefe, saying it's hard to overstate the level of rage, saying it's the only sector with no date. So, understandable anger from within that sector. Now, in terms of the political reaction. Uh, Opposition leaders uh, pushing forward a number of lines of inquiry. The Labour leader, Alan Kelly, uh, describing the plan as bananas. Uh, Alan Kelly, to quote him directly, saying, you're basically saying to young people of Ireland that your summer will consist of sitting at home uh, watching Love Island. Uh, He also, uh, Matty McGrath, describing and comparing Neffet to a cabal and saying to the government, when are you going to dispose of Neffet? Uh, To which the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, came back and defended uh, the work that Neffet had done throughout this uh, entire pandemic. Uh, Richard boyd Barrett saying that young people are serving older people uh, in these restaurants this idea of uh, people who are fully vaccinated being allowed to go indoors uh, he's pointing to that and saying this is a ridiculous suggestion and uh, some calling it a two-tier society now our political correspondent gavin Riley reporting earlier today that the attorney general uh, said that uh, it will be difficult but it is legal in terms of allowing those fully vaccinated people to eat indoors
1: and of course that decision made off the back of nephit's document which was stark in its reading and in particular those projections that have caused such alarm.
0: Yes, Claire. that letter from the CMO to uh, the Health Minister made for some very stark reading and there was a table in particular in it uh, that many people will have seen today which outlined four different scenarios. So you had everything from uh, best to worst case scenario and then something in between. So uh, when you look at worst case scenario in terms of the impact that Delta could have, you're looking at between uh, roughly around 700,000 cases. So these projections were from the 1st of July through to the 30th of September, so a three-month period. They're talking worst case scenario, 700,000 cases and more than 2,000 deaths in that three-month period. In terms of something in the middle of the road, they're talking about deaths being anything between 545 uh, up to 1,200. So a very serious situation. We have to remember, Claire, that we are looking at... uh, Potential Delta outbreaks in many parts of the country. Uh, For example, yesterday we were looking at Waterford and they have 120 cases linked to an outbreak there in West Waterford. Of those 120 cases, you're talking about 50 of those cases having the S gene present, which is a marker for the Delta variant. So they're obviously being sent for whole genome sequencing. Now it's going to take two weeks for those samples to come back to confirm that, but you're looking at similar situations, Claire, in places like uh, Athlone and in Sligo, for example. In Sligo, 50 uh, samples being sent for that whole genome sequencing. So that is the reality of what we're looking at in Ireland now in terms of Delta. Okay. well, critics of the government are saying,
1: where's the plan? What now? We've got this news today, but we have no date for reopening. And what's the plan going forward for the summer?
0: Well, Claire, I think the reality for now is that they need to figure that out. I mean, earlier today, we spoke to the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, and we asked him about this idea of people being allowed to dine indoors if they're fully vaccinated. And we asked him, how is that going to work? What are the logistics around that? Uh, Stephen Donnelly telling us today they're going to go into listening mode now. They're going to start engaging with the sector. He says they're going to allow uh, those working in the hospitality sector to give their feedback and to tell the government exactly what they think might work in all of this. They want to hear feedback. They want to know uh, what's doable and what's workable for those who will have to implement it. Also critically clear, the Taoiseach saying today in his announcement this afternoon that the vaccine will be our biggest defence against Delta. That latest NIAC advice Stephen Donnelly telling us today will bring our vaccine target back by month. He's telling us that initially the government had hoped that everyone, every eligible adult will be fully vaccinated uh, by the end of September. Stephen Donnelly now hopes that'll come back to the end of August, but he says it will be dependent on vaccine deliveries.
1: OK, Zara King, thank you for that update tonight. Now here in studio is Fianna Fáil TD, Barry Cowan, Chief Executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, Adrian Cummins, and via Skype, owner of the Castle Inn pub in Cork, Michael O'Donovan. And no government minister was available to come on the show tonight, and Neffet did not respond to requests for a representative to come on the show either. Well, we want to go to Michael first. Um, Michael O'Donovan, tell us about your situation you have no facilities for an outdoor service for your pub. So after 16 months or so, the 5th of July was the day, the D-day for you. What's been your reaction to what you heard today?
3: Yeah, Claire, today was gut-wrenching really to hear the news that came from the Taoiseach uh, at at lunchtime today. Um, Going back to last Wednesday, he had told us in an interview that we were progressing along the road path, heading towards the 5th of July. Um, I, like lots of my colleagues, went and placed orders. I myself got my deliveries on Friday and again on Monday, uh, yesterday, and then to hear the news today that we're not opening. um, And I think the most heartbreaking part of it is there's no date for us going forward. Um, I'm now again at the mercy of our suppliers um, with my stock. Uh, I'll have to pay for my stock by the end of July. Um, And like, I don't know if I'm going to be open in the month of July to get any income to come in to meet those uh, costs that I have going out. So tonight, I and my colleagues in the industry are just heartbroken from the news that we heard today.
1: Um, What about this idea around proof of vaccination that could allow you to open? Do you think that is a potentially workable solution?
3: It's going to be very difficult. Uh, I think, uh, you know, if people come to the door, a group of four people and two have a vaccine cert and two don't, you know, like we're going to be on the front line trying to man that. And it's going to be really difficult that you leave two go in and two not go in. It's probably going to lead to confrontation at the door um, of our premises. And that's not what, what we want. Um, like we're going to have an extra staff member probably to police it every day and to check on the people, so it's just impractical to do this in the current guise, so we would need real consultation with government to take place in the next couple of days to come to a solution to get us to open.
1: And Michael, there's also been concerns put out there about your staff themselves. Many of them will be younger, they won't necessarily have got the vaccine and they'll be serving people who are vaccinated. Is that an issue with you? Is that a worry for your employees?
3: It, yes, look, I suppose it's, it, they're, going to be able to work in my premises, serve people that are going to be, you know, vaccinated. But yet, if they go out themselves, they can't go into uh, an establishment. It's it's a crazy situation. It just sounds even wrong to even say it. So, like, we need real consultation to take place because this the system that they're talking about today is just not practical.
1: Okay, I want to bring Barry Cowan in here. You've heard there from Michael O'Donovan down in Cork, like this, this 5th of July date meant everything to him. And for so many people like that up and down the country for businesses, for employees alike, they've got their stock in, they're ready to go. And then this decision comes really out of the blue around this idea of a vaccine passport to get into a pub. Um, it sparked a lot of anger and confusion. If you were at the cabinet table, what would you have said today?
4: Well, I think, you know, last night and again today, the predominant uh, reaction is ranges from shock, disappointment, devastation, uh, anger, fear, and indeed worry. And you've heard that all of those in, in, in Michael's short contribution. I'd be fearful that this is a, such a kick in the teeth for many in the hospitality business that we you'd worry, are we watching the demise of their businesses in slow motion? And you have to consider the background that prevailed when the cabinet subcommittee met and considered the recommendation yesterday evening. All of Europe uh, allows and caters for indoor dining, uh, indoor hospitality. Uh, The background included the fact that we are prepared to send packed planes to enjoy the hospitality across Europe, yet we cannot allow them down our own towns. No, I just want to... Put some context and then arrive at a conclusion if you don't mind four and five thousand cases over the last two weeks that we've we've seen two weeks ago we were led to believe 20 percent of those cases included the delta variant one would assume that that has multiplied again to, tw- to 30 yeah. or 40 percent yet hospital numbers are going down we have a vaccination program in place that's going well and that's you know we're very proud of and very thankful for and the sick the old the aged and the vulnerable yes. have been vaccinated where
1: where the vaccine rollout. and out and,
4: so. and and you know last winter of course we made a terrible mistake and we have to own up and accept and, and, and appreciate that but we didn't have the vaccination in place So the decision but what I would worry about
1: made now was it the right decision
4: I, well look what, what worries me about that decision and about the implications of it and the tishk talked about examining the practicalities of that advice over the next number of weeks i'm a bit i'm a bit unnerved that there hadn't been adequate preparation on the part of government to prepare for the proposition that has emanated from this decision last night. And that is about vaccination bonus for those that have it in relation to entering into indoor premises to enjoy hospitality. And we've seen that there's no problem in relation to the the allowing of, of international travel but there will be issues here and it is something that I would have thought was in pla- should have been in place and available okay. and in the drawer and taken out when this Vista arrived last night. That's not the case. And now people talk about meeting with the industry, exploring options. I mean, did we explore the capacity issue, a percentage of capacity or ventilation systems? I want to bring
1: Adrian in here. Uh, Barry Cowan's critical of that decision that was made today. From your point of view, from your members' point of view, you were due to reopen next week. What do you think of this kind of mixed reaction you're even hearing tonight from government?
5: Well, the decision was wrong today by the government not to proceed with reopening hospitality from the 5th of July. Uh, There was a plan in place. There is no plan now. There's no date in the future. And our industry is in disarray, disappointment, anger right across the country. Businesses like Michael down in Cork, thousands of businesses and 180,000 workers are at home tonight and they don't know when they will get back to work again. Mm. We need to have a... We're meeting with the Tánisthá, the Minister for Health tomorrow and the Minister for Tourism tomorrow. And we expect that there will be a date in the future where we will get open and we need to plan for that. We cannot be led up the garden path again. How many times have we arrived to this scenario okay. where I, we haven't, we've been given a date and we've been knocked back.
1: I want to ask about the issue around these vaccine certs mm-hmm. and this promise that if you are vaccinated, you can go to dine. Like, would would it be as problematic if this had been mooted several weeks ago if it was sort of out there if it had been discussed with you before it was just landed today on the agenda
5: Well in the middle of March we wrote to the Taoiseach at the Thánaiste and we asked for a meeting to discuss under media speculation around a vaccine certificate Mm. we didn't get an acknowledgement and now we are where we are today and let me just uh describe how they tried to bring in vaccine certificates in Israel and Denmark, where I've spoken to my counterparts. They tried to bring it in for the over 50s in Denmark, they had abandoned ship. In Israel, they abandoned after three months. And vaccine certificates but, what, are not going to work. issue
1: there? Because that has been put out there and we know that it is. Uh, you know, also running in plenty of countries actually around Europe, and you look—it's it's a real, it's a sort of mixed bag. Some countries aren't doing it, but many countries are. And what are the specific issues in those countries that you're hearing about?
5: Well, it's divisive. It will divide communities, families, people going out, um, and you're dividing, uh, and it is ageism also. Okay. And we believe this is very discriminatory. And it also—we would like to see the ages. uh, report on whether this is uh, legally binding because of the Equality Act.
1: Okay. Now we know that this decision, Barry Cowan, was made off the back of public health advice. NEFET's 26-page letter that outlined all the potential worst-case scenarios, the modelling we're hearing about, the 2,000 deaths between July and September that are there. These things have to be taken into consideration, don't they?
4: Yeah, look, I haven't had adequate time to specifically investigate, analyze, scrutinize, question, challenge the proposals that went before Cabinet yesterday evening. And I would expect my colleagues will elaborate on that issue and those issues when they address our party colleagues uh, tomorrow and and over the course of the coming days. But in in an effort to try and understand and investigate uh, the reasoning behind this decision and the recommendation, it would appear, as we know, you had the UK variant, which was twice as transmissible as the original, This Delta variant is again twice as transmissible than the previous one. Um, Results and indications from the UK would indicate that up to 6.8% of people that have been double double vaccinated uh, have contracted the disease. The, the government's fear is, if that's replicated here in the sort of numbers that's been talked about, that some of those that are in the vulnerable sector or the aged or the sick, despite vaccination, may be under threat and will lead yeah. to possible. So, so I understand that, the background. Yeah, and and if you want that, to have, say, no, you can never have zero COVID. They're but justified you can, you
1: in making that decision. It's a difficult decision, but acknowledging but it is hard for businesses yeah, to the country. That, be
4: it that there is justification in arriving at that conclusion and making that decision. The question is, how do you respond to that? How do you help this sector? How well, do you, you're in government. Yeah, well, I, I'm a member of a, of, of a government party. I'm not in government, unfortunately, and, and, I, and I wish I was, and I wish I could give would you the agree answers, now, but I can't.
1: Would you agree with publicans and restaurateurs going out and protests, talk of national protests? Would you agree with that? Do you think they're right to do it? Well, I think in, in, in the change, first
4: instance, you know, of course, as I said earlier, shock, disappointment, anger, fear, worry on the part of everybody concerned with this business. But as Adrian has said, it's important that they now meet with government and okay. those in responsibility positions immediately to ascertain where they're at and to investigate means and methods okay, by w- which I they might resolve. To, I decision. want to
1: bring Michael back in there um, you know that talking that has to be done and there is talk around July 19th now that a vaccine search could be in place and that you will be able to open and um, if that's the case and if, if, if a plan is made would you be happy with that plan? If
3: it's constructed with our industrial reps, yes, of course, we will work with government and we will do our best to implement it. Our aim is to open our premises and look after our staff and customers in our best case uh, that we can. And we want everybody to be as safe as possible. So we want to get open as soon as possible. And hopefully our industrial reps going in tomorrow will come out with some date in the future that we can look forward to. Because here tonight, it's looking pretty bleak for us looking into the future.
1: Um, Okay, Um, Adrian Cummins, I want to bring you in here. So the next step now is to to talk to government and see how this could potentially work. What, I mean, from your perspective, it was due to be July 5th. Now it's going to be earliest July 19th. We don't even know if that's going to happen. The impact that this will have on the business for the summer, is the summer lost?
5: The summer is lost for many, many businesses, thousands of businesses across the country. Uh, We're entering into one of the key months of the summer vacation season, uh July. Uh we are being the the announcement this evening from the Minister for Health is there will be a plan in place by July the 19th. That doesn't say that we will be open by the J- july nineteenth. We might even be open by uh, uh September. So we would need to make sure that from tomorrow that we get a date in the future when we will actually open our doors. This is uh High, high stakes game now for many, many businesses across the, across the country who have to meet their bank manager next week and hammer out how are they going to make their repayments into the future? Yeah,
1: you're expecting that date but do you think realistically you're going to be promised any date given this Delta variant and the precarious situation we're told We're in, as in there was no announcement uh, today around it. And there doesn't seem to be that plan to to give that immediate announcement on when you will be able to open indoors.
5: Well, the government has decided to move forward with the development of a vaccine certificate. Surely they must know how long it's going to take to develop it and how it's going to work, how it's going to be implemented. So there has to be a project management plan around that, and there has to be a, delayed, a, a date in the, the delivery of it if it's going to come down the tracks. We believe that this is very, um, this this vaccine certificate is unworkable. So we need to talk to the government tomorrow about how this is not going to be appropriate for industry.
1: Barry, can we heard Stephen Donnelly saying today? I want to listen to the sector. I want to listen. I want to hear what they want, um, but there hasn't been anything developed in terms of a, a vaccination cert that could be used well, that, to, that, to, that was, to allow it to that, open that, up? That, that
4: was my point. This is very, yeah. this is
1: very late in the day, that, isn't
4: it? That was my point some minutes ago when you asked the question in the first instance. Yes, of course, I am disappointed that despite the commitment that the government is making to uh, you know, adhere to uh, public health advice in this instance, despite the limited potential there may be associated with it, that's their prerogative and we have to accept and appreciate that. It it is a disappointment, from my perspective, that there hasn't been adequate preparation in relation to the potential or the possibility of this option having to be put on the table. That's not the case. That's not the case. There's no point in crying and whinging and and, and regretting it. It's now incumbent on those who have a responsibility in government to work with the sector, to meet them as soon as possible, put a plan in place that can help and assist and give some semblance of light, some semblance of of like light that, at the end of the tunnel for, for uh, this sector like which are decimated it, yeah. by this decision
1: Like People will be watching though and saying you're in government like this is a decision that's been made by government it's your well, look, party you know, you're the I, largest I, party yeah, in yeah. government and, 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 it's, and it's this very, announcement was made yes. and it's and very easy to throw that really accusation
4: that. and throw well, that charge at me and I accept and appreciate you have a job to do as others have too but this is something that has changed on several occasions over the course of the pandemic. In the main, to be fair, the government has handled this well. There's been adequate support and help and assistance bad, for those sectors. this
1: bad look, handling look, of the Look, I would the, say, I've said it, I've said it. Look,
4: I, I, I'm being fair and appropriate and, and, and honest. And I have a job to do in relation to those that elect like me to give me the privilege to hold government members. Uh, to account in relation to their duty to those that they represent. And I'm saying, from my perspective, and the contract that has been made to me from the industry, yes, I'm disappointed nothing has been in preparation stage that could be taken out of the drawer when this Vista was presented to them last night. But be that as it may, as I said, it's now incumbent on government to respond positively and to help this sector to give it some hope or chance. Because as, as, as Adrian has said... The summer is lost. Some businesses are lost already because of this and because of what went before. But we don't want decimation. And the only way there can't be decimation is by agreeing a means by which a vaccination certificate programme can be put in place. It has to be put in place. Is
1: this bizarre that the decision would be made off the back of an effort letter that's only issued last night when you're expecting restaurants and bars to reopen next week? This talk, the the modelling, the projections that we're talking about here, that they wouldn't have been talked about before yeah, well, now. Look, they
4: looked at they, they they're not here to respond to that and I can't answer for them and I would ask a similar question to yourself.
1: I would ask the same question. And have have the meeting last week or the week before last. I expect he would. I
4: expect he would. I expect cabinet members would. I expect the subcommittee did last night. I expect the cabinet did again today Mm. and they have a duty and obligation to relay that information following those questions. But from my perspective, I can only deal with the here and now. I can only deal with the representations that have been made to me and I can only respond as best I see fit. And irrespective of what mistakes have been made, and there have been many, but there have been many positive aspects too and there's an incumbent on the government of the day to resolve this issue and I expect they can and they will.
1: Right. Adrian, um, would you expect businesses now to go to the wall? I mean, if the vaccine cert is in place and people can dine indoors once they prove they're vaccinated, is that a lifeline for, for restaurants and for bars this summer potentially?
5: Well, we haven't seen what the proposal is from the government yet. So we need to see that. We need to debate it and, and have a constructive meeting tomorrow with the government. And if we have to talk through the night, we will do that. This has, can't be tea and sympathy tomorrow mm-hmm. from the ministers. This has to be uh, marathon talks to get, make sure that we have a deal coming out the door of that talks, date, delivery, action and supports. They're the issues that has to be uh, discussed okay. tomorrow.
1: Okay, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Adrian Cummins and Michael O'Donovan in Cork. And Barry Cowan will be staying with us. And after the break, we discuss the modeling methods that effort used to base today's decision on.
6: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: Welcome back. Now, Neffet has warned that more than 2,000 people could die from COVID-19 by September, but what has this modelling been based upon? Fianna Fáil TD, Barry Cowan is still here with us, and we're also joined by Social Democrat co-leader, Roisin Shortall and via Skype, by Professor of Immunology at Maynooth University, Paul Moyna. And Paul, I want to come to you first. Um, the Neffet advice has been described as, uh, described as sober and stark. We're hearing those projections around 700,000 cases in, in worst case scenario. 2,000 deaths. What is your opinion on the modelling that's being presented here?
6: First of all, Claire, yeah, I think some of the numbers there are very, they're scary. Um, I think it's important to get some context here. So, uh, NPHET have proposed a number of different scenarios. Um, One of the things I would like to see is to have some measure of the probability, the likelihood of each of these scenarios. We've been presented with a number of options But the range there is very, very wide. It's like a tenfold difference between the most pessimistic and most optimistic. So I would like to see a situation where we have some measure or likelihood or probability in terms of the likelihood of these different scenarios. Because at the moment, you know, we hear figures like 700,000, but how likely is that? But the problem is once that number is introduced to the conversation, obviously that's going to affect some of the decisions that we're going to make. And this is a, this is really a problem in terms of looking at risk, evaluating risk, and then trying to put in, in place measures to mitigate that risk. But I think it would be very useful, first of all, to look at the probability of each of those scenarios. I think it also would be very useful. These models are completely dependent on the numbers that you put into them, the, the input parameters. So I think it's really important in terms of, for example, getting NETFED's view with respect to seasonality, just as an example. Does Netfit accept that this potentially seasonal where the virus doesn't transmit as well during the summer? What about schools being closed? Is that incorporated into the model? Do you get a benefit from that? We've got 270,000 confirmed cases from other countries. The reality is we've probably had about a million cases of infections in, in Ireland. So has mm. have has those parameters. So that's the type of information that I would like to see when we begin to evaluate uh, these models.
1: Do you think uh, the government decision was overly cautious then in that light, that seasonality you're talking about, schools being off, it being summertime and the vaccination numbers, that all of that means that reopening, you know, is far safer now than perhaps at, at, at other times? Yeah,
6: you know, I said yesterday, Claire. I, I thought now is probably be, would be as good a time as any for the reasons that you've outlined in terms of the time of year, uh, you know, schools, all schools will be closed from this week. And the fact that as a out of our vaccination, you know, and then credit to the HSE, they've done a really good job in terms of reaching a stage where most of our vulnerable are protected at this stage. So I thought that be as good a time as any. If we delay it by a couple of weeks, as we are doing, will this coincide, for example, with the opening up of travel? As we get closer then towards the end of August, we're going to be looking at the opening of schools. And certainly we're going to be looking at situations in the winter months where if this variant, and it probably will transmit even better during the winter, it's going to be more difficult. So I thought, you know, that now is as good a time as any, and I don't think it's going to get any easier.
1: And notwithstanding the Delta variant, because we are hearing the warnings about it and that even people who are vaccinated are, are catching this variant, uh, and that's why that decision has been made. It's based on the public health advice and, and the risk and the transmission rate of this particular uh, variant of COVID.
6: Yeah, again, Clare, and I'm delaying by a couple of weeks, but I'm not quite sure what that will achieve. OK, there is a cohort, I'm very mindful, a cohort in their 60s who've had one dose of the AstraZeneca. Now, with one dose of the AstraZeneca, it gives about a 71% protection from severe illness, hospitalisation. Yes, it only gives about a 33% protection from infection. Now, with a second dose, that goes up into around 90%. So that obviously is a factor. But again, at the moment, we're, we've been living with the Alpha variant, and with the first dose of the AstraZeneca, that gives us about a 76% protection from serious illness. So there's not that much of a difference between 71 and 76% protection from serious illness hospitalisation. So I, I don't see it adds, it gives you that much okay. benefit, you know, the delay by a couple of weeks.
1: Okay, Roshan Shortall, what do you think about what you've heard there? Just that, you know, now arguably is as good a time as any to open up hospitality and the decision um, made around this is abundantly cautious, isn't it?
7: It is really, and you know, there have been several people, experts in the field who have expressed the view that we should go ahead uh, and open up as planned. Do you Um, think we should? Well, look, I haven't had access to the briefings and this has been a major problem. I said this to you the last time I was on the programme, Claire, that there hasn't been a briefing uh, in relation to COVID of opposition parties since last December. And we haven't seen any of the modelling or any of the projections. And it would be really helpful if we could see those. But, you know, I completely agree with the points that have been made there by Paul. Um, There are a whole lot of variables here in in the projections. And we don't know uh, the risk assessment of various elements of those. And I mean, the point that that figure of 700,000, an extraordinary figure, has been put out there. Um, And like... Is it really the case? Is is it credible that we could be talking about the potential for three times the number of cases of COVID that we've had over the past six, sixteen months? That we'd see those develop three times that number developing the next three months. I mean, it's very hard would to believe that. To get, that is obviously, yeah. you know, an extreme situation, yeah. worst case scenario. But um, like, would you like ho-
1: to question effort on that modelling? Because there are calls for independent yeah. reviews of yeah. that particular modelling because it is shocking and alarming to many about the place we could be in by September. Yeah, there hasn't, would you, would there you hasn't like- been any
7: opportunity at a rock this level to question an effort on, on this and we've looked for them to come in to the Health yeah. Committee on a number of occasions recently. They haven't and the, the excuse was the the, um, the the attack and that, the, the uh, cyber attack. But I think more importantly than them coming in before the Oireachtas is that there would be some element of peer review because we have many eminent scientists okay. and public health people in this country who don't agree with the, the proposal that's being made. But like overall, you'd have to ask, Why is it that this recommendation not to proceed with the opening up has come out of the blue? Um, You know, the the trends were there for some time. The government were aware of those trends. The Minister for Health works in the same building as the CMO. And, you know, certainly the government has been flying kites over the last couple of weeks about delays in the opening up. But there was never any suggestion that, that you know, that there there would be an indefinite delay. And also that there would be some new system introduced okay. with the, pa- the, the so-called okay. COVID passport. Uh, yeah. And like, that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever.
1: OK, uh, Barry, can I just want to bring you in on comments made. Um, now, it was said in, he made them in a personal capacity, and that was the Minister for State, Ocean Smith, saying that the government would be seeking a second independent opinion from the likes of the WHO and ECDC on those figures presented by NEFET to uh, the Cabinet subcommittee. Would you be in favour of that?
4: What well, I would have thought or expected that that information was available to the Cabinet when they sat down to discuss this today and last night from the subcommittee. Well, not they if they didn't have H. the figures. Well, I mean, in response to the Nefit recommendation and letter, it is an obvious question that you would imagine would be asked. No more than the questions and issues and queries and clarifications that Paul mentioned he would like to see or expect. Mm. And I, too, would expect that those issues were debated and discussed. And it's incumbent on... Uh, The minister or the government uh, to share that information. But two points that Paul makes I think are important. And that is, you know, while the information has to be evaluated and measured uh, and mitigating measures put in place, they didn't have the mitigating measures and they've given themselves time to provide them. They've also given themselves time to address the issue whereby only 75% of the 60 to 69-year-olds have had a right. second va- vaccination and 46% of the 50 to 59. So it could well be that those cohorts are dealt with within the next two weeks. It could well be that agreement is reached in relation to those with ministerial responsibility and the hospitality sector to provide a means and a method by which they can respond positively uh, with mitigating measures. And also, you know, you know, allied to that process... Is other considerations, and of course, okay. you would expect the government to have as, as their primary consideration public health, but it's incumbent okay. on them, as it is on us all, to consider other aspects and, of society and the economy and, too. And, take, and I'm sure and taking, that that has to measure of that into the equation. In, into
1: account, do you think, come July 19th, that they could come to a different conclusion and the government might make a different decision about reopening really well, but think, not requiring? Um, as I said I think by, as they'll I go said, against Neffitt's advice do you think that that well, could be a possibility as I said I
4: think at that juncture they will have explored and possibly have mitigation measures on the table with the agreement of the sector but, but they may also have made progress yeah, in relation to right. vaccination and I, you know the younger cohort are also being offered vaccinations yeah. a one jab vaccination which it can help to Claire, and impact Claire, on Claire, those Claire, Roisin, figures
7: Roisin, there is an important point uh, the other propos- or the other announcement that was made last night was the decision by NIAC to yeah, uh, off, right. offer AstraZeneca yeah. and, and Jensen to younger people, mm-hmm. okay? And, you know, and that they, they, have they would a have a choice. Effect, now, what we don't know is whether that has been factored into okay. to Nefit's yeah. uh, calculations, yeah. that because to, that would be a hu- to make a huge Moyna. difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul, th- those key NIAC decisions that were made about um, extending, you know, the use of AstraZeneca to 18 to 40-year-olds, uh, uh, do you think in that instance that that could... You know, provide more benefits and more possibility then to reopen. Would you say that came into the reckoning when they were making the call on this decision to delay the reopening?
6: I presume it would, Clary, and I'd certainly welcome that in terms of the offering of the AstraZeneca and the Johnson Johnson to the under 50s. I think that's a good move. The EMA consistently have recommended that the benefits outweigh the risks. We've had adopted a very cautious approach. Some of the other recommendations from NIAC, I think, of, of, that deserve some commentary. So, for example, there's a suggestion that the period between the two doses of AstraZeneca be reduced to four weeks. I have some concerns there. If you, yeah. if you look at the data from the phase three clinical trials in the AstraZeneca, the second dose is more efficacious when it's left for about eight weeks. And a lot of the data we have in terms of protective effects on the AstraZeneca is around that eight week period. I think we should be looking more at moving towards mixing the vaccines. Okay. There's really fantastic yeah. data coming that, out showing that yeah, the mix The vaccines that, effects that, are really, really strong. Yeah, that, that's oh, a that's key point.
1: Point, And it's been called for on countless occasions when we had this cohort between the ages of 60 and 69 uh, with one dose of AstraZeneca. The Delta variant clearly growing and growing. Uh, they're 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 being left quite vulnerable and then they're not getting a second dose of, of, of Pfizer or another vaccine because NIAC have not made that call. Shouldn't that be That, the should, call that that's made should that that call
4: should be asked to be made of NIAC. Um you know, we spoke earlier about the impact that this decision has have on the psychic of the of the society and the economy and to be fair as I said earlier the government has handled this well and there's been much support from the opposition benches and you know, there's been a feel-good factor there's been a, a benefit in relation to the yeah. in relation, in relation to vaccination but this has moved as a step back and you know another point I'd like to make is that in the last 14 days 84% of the cases are persons under the age of 45 so again you know with that decision by NIAC in relation to the 18 to 30 yeah, year olds That
1: doesn't mean they won't be sick and some of them won't end up in hospital I mean, this, But, these but the resilience, the resilience
4: is, is further increased in relation to the first dose 60-70% oh, of disasters and again more about, in relation to others and 90% what thereafter what cons- and huge in, increase in yeah. the resilience in relation to okay. impact but, and
1: hospitalisation what, what about yeah. those concerns around that a decision to narrow the gap to four weeks. Yeah, I, I think this is an
7: important issue that has been
1: raised. Like,
7: People in their 60s have been contacting us over recent mm. weeks. There is serious concern and a, a sense of people being let down because they were given what was seen to be a less effective uh, vaccine. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, why can't we have a mix and match uh, Pfizer as the second vaccine if you get, you get AstraZeneca for the first? And already there was a demand for that. And and, you know, the announcement last night now about narrowing that interval between the two AstraZeneca uh, doses from eight to four weeks, you'd have to ask, is that based on science or is it based on politics? Well, we don't. We don't, don't sorry, have an eye fairness, to sorry, give it as much no, as you we might don't, want I, that to be the, the state case. State sorry, it's based on on sorry p- what I'm saying is, it, is does that give the best mm. uh, uh, okay. effect in terms of uh, protection? Is that the best way of doing it? Okay. Is is that the medical advice or is it in order to speed up the, the uh, vaccination programme? And I think people in their 60s are entitled to a clear answer in relation okay. to that because they have been looking for, you know, the mix and match approach and okay. that hasn't happened. But, you know, this is a further area okay. of concern in relation to AstraZeneca and people in their 60s. And like Paul okay. has raised that question, mm-hmm. it is an issue of concern yeah. and needs addressed. OK, might follow
6: up? If I could just quickly follow up, Claire, the point there from uh, Roisin. So, to to reassure those in their 60s, the double AstraZeneca is very good for protecting against serious illness and hospitalization, like 71%, the single, up to 90% with a double. Not so good in terms of protecting against infection. And to protect against infection, you need to generate lots of antibodies. So, that is where the mixed mixed vaccination has been really important
4: impact and hospitalisation, ICU and so forth. And right. actually, Look, it's important to we'll, mitigate against we'll, that. We'll have forces. to, we'll so have so have so to leave it there. My
1: thanks to Professor Paul A Barry Cowan and Short Hall will stay with us. And after the break, UNICEF, tell us about the challenges COVID-19 is causing in third world countries. Welcome back. UN agency UNICEF has launched a global campaign for people to donate a vaccine for the developing world. The campaign comes amid concern about the impact of unvaccinated nations on ending this pandemic. The campaign is fronted by Irish actor Liam Neeson.
5: Hi, I'm Liam Neeson, UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador. If you have been vaccinated against COVID-19, you can now give a vaccine to someone in need by supporting UNICEF in the biggest vaccination campaign in history. Wealthy countries are racing to vaccinate their populations. Yet billions of people in poor countries don't have any vaccines. Scientists tell us that no one is safe until everyone is safe.
1: Well, earlier I spoke to UNICEF Ireland's Executive Director, Peter Power, about the high profile campaign and the issue of global vaccine inequity and why it matters to all of us. I began by asking him about the public response to this campaign.
2: It's been outstanding. I would say even overwhelming. Uh, I think most people know we're very lucky here in Ireland. Uh, Our vaccination program is going very well. We have high levels of confidence. There's a huge uptake of the vaccine relative to other countries. A huge confidence in what the HSE are doing. HSE are rolling out in our view, a very efficient, a very effective campaign. And a lot of people, when they get the uh, vaccine, they feel relieved, they feel delighted. They even feel emotional. Uh, But they also know that there are billions of people around the world who are really left behind. They're at the end of the queue, have no access to vaccines. And what UNICEF is giving uh, these people an opportunity uh, to say, when you get your vaccine, you in turn can give a vaccine to somebody uh, in the developing world, in the poorest parts of the world who do not have access to vaccines. Because each year, Uh, UNICEF already vaccinates 2 billion children throughout the world. This year, we're doubling that capacity to provide an additional 2 billion COVID-19 vaccines so that we have the capacity to deliver these vaccines if people in Ireland want to give Mm. after having received their own vaccine.
1: And Peter, it's a mammoth challenge, you'll agree. Uh, Which countries and regions do you see as the real trouble spots right now where your focus is on?
2: You're correct, Claire. It is a massive uh, challenge, but one for which I have to say we are uniquely qualified. We have built up a cold chain supply chain for vaccines over seven decades. So we know how to get to the vaccines into countries. And the areas that we see at the moment that are a real risk are Southeast Asia, particularly the countries around India, not surprisingly. We're looking at Nepal, especially Sri Lanka. Of course, Latin America is always of concern. But what really concerns us is, is the increasing rates in countries in Africa, for example, that have vaccination rates in the single digits. In Ireland, we have over sixty percent of people who've received at least one shot of very effective vaccines. In some countries, you're talking about three, four, five percent. Uh, and we, we were we we're very strongly of the view that in a global pandemic, you can't vaccinate the world one country at a time or even a group of country at a, time, at a time, you need to vaccinate the entire world at an equal rate. Because if we don't do so, uh, this will, I think most people accept now, uh, come back to haunt us. So it's not just uh, the right thing to do or even the ethical thing to do, but it really is in our self-interest to share our vaccines and to give vaccines yep. uh, to the unvaccinated people throughout the world.
1: Do you think that big pharmaceutical companies and some governments in particular could be doing more on this, Peter?
2: Well, we do believe that uh, companies and countries uh, should engage in not just vaccine sharing of excess vaccines, but also we believe uh, in the timely transfer of technology uh, and in the sharing of intellectual property. We believe that's not going to be a panacea. It's not going to cure it overnight because you've got to... Uh, create the, the factories, you've got to build the vaccine. you've got to uh, create the vaccines and uh, produce them. But beyond that, layer, there's an entire uh, supply chain where, where you have to keep the vaccines at a very uh, cold temperatures, through the flights from the factories, uh, into warehouses, into trucks, into regional distribution centres, right into the most remotest places in the world. In Ireland, we've got mass vaccination centres. In the areas where UNICEF operates in, you're talking about tiny villages hundreds of miles away from any hospital. Uh, and that's the sort of infrastructure that we have to develop uh, to supply these vaccines.
1: Okay, Peter Power, thank you very much for joining us tonight with your insight on that. You're welcome, sir. Barry Cowan, we heard there um, you know, about countries that have got single-digit vaccinations, a tiny amount. That it's it's not only right that we do something about that, but It's interesting that Peter Parris says, look, it's in everyone's interest that something is done about this. Is the government doing enough to look around the world, not just at what's happening here, but in terms of helping those developing world countries?
4: Well, I know they're contributing to the EU response to Mm. helping the system. We've seen the G7 do likewise in recent weeks. I think the point that's made by Peter and UNICEF that they have the capacity to do a further 2 billion uh, vaccinations where we should... Do what we can to ensure that that capacity is delivered upon and play our play do our role. Do we need
1: role. to put more pressure on the big pharmaceutical companies? Yes, know, I to think lend we do. Their expertise, the technical, th- the plants to set up and to, to get these vaccines rolled Absolutely, out.
4: Absolutely, we should demand it of them. To be fair, they, 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 they have been responded brilliantly to the demands of the rest of the, of the world in, in, in the way in which they've produced a vaccine. Because there is a reluctance there, it's not
1: really happening.
4: I I think that that, that there is an onus on all governments Mm -hmm. and us to use our influence to insist on such a demand, yes.
1: Roisin, um briefly on this, do you think it's an opportunity for Ireland to step up on this? Yes, I do.
7: And I think at this stage, most people appreciate that no country is safe until all countries are safe. And the, the UNICEF um, plan is very good and I wish them success on that. But I think we need to go further and I think the maximum pressure needs to be put on the pharmaceutical industry at EU level and also at US level because it's not right that the pharmaceutical industry should be profiteering from a pandemic that is stealing, you know, thousands and thousands of lives and destroying millions and millions of lives. And for that reason, it's really important that there isn't that kind of profiteering. And really, as much pressure as possible should be brought to bear on the the pharmaceutical industry to waive the patent, the the intellectual property rights. And that's the
1: only way we're going to come to terms with this. Is this something that Ireland could be more vocal on, waiving those rights so that everyone can benefit from the, the vaccine?
4: Absolutely. And as Roisin said, it should continue to exert its influence uh, and it is a strong influence in relation to US affairs, as has been alluded to, and the amount of industry to disseminate from uh, the, 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 the vaccine delivery from that, that country and that nation. Uh, and, you know, being part of the EU, another bloc that can exert a sort of pressure that's required.
1: Well, that's it from us. My thanks to all my guests tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast and our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. Matt Cooper will be here tomorrow night at 10. But from all the late team, good night and take care.